Welcome back to the Forever Everything Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Kleep. And on today's episode, we have Dr. Adam Hotchkiss on the show. Now, I was looking forward to this conversation a ton because it bridges the gap between two things I'm really interested in, traditional medicine, this Western medicine, and then also this idea of fitness, lifestyle, health. And I think Dr. Adam does a great job sharing his path to becoming a doctor, his journey to get there, his time working with patients with diabetes, which I found to be particularly interesting. We then go into sick care versus healthcare, what the difference there is. Finally, hormone optimization and blood work evaluation. Dr. Adam works for Merrick Health. And if you've been listening to this show for a while, you know we've been doing work with Merrick Health for quite a while. I got my blood work there. Uh, our team at NC Fit has got their blood work there. And I think they're doing an incredible job. I wanted to learn more about what in particular should we be looking for when we're looking at our blood work and what markers, maybe as a really fit person or someone that exercises a lot, maybe the blood work markers are abnormal compared to most, but they actually aren't something that's bad. So we talked today about that. And in particular, we finish off with this idea of uh, should you be wearing shoes? So stay tuned for the entire episode. I really enjoyed this one. Dr. Adams is very He's, he's a great speaker. He's extremely intelligent. And I hope you get as much out of this episode as I did. Now, before we get into it, I want to remind you about our friends over at Merrick Health, right? Of course. If you want the exact same panel that I got, I, I imagine you could actually have Dr. Adam even evaluate your blood work as well. Make sure to check out the show notes and utilize the code EOE for 10% off your first blood panel. That's going to be a great way to really look underneath the hood, see what's going on. We talk about that today. I hope you guys get a ton of value out of it. Make sure you check out Merrick Health. Use the code EOE for 10% off. Without any further ado, let's dive into a great episode with Dr. Adam Hotchkiss. Let's go. Dr. Adam Hotchkiss, Thank you so much for joining us today. I am uh, super excited to dive into all things, your background, hormone optimization, blood work. Um, I actually just sent you like 30 seconds ago, my blood work. And uh, thanks for taking the time. How's your, uh, I see you're in a, you're basically in a gym right now. Yeah, this is actually the Merrick headquarters. So um, we've got like all the business stuff on that side. And then in the kind of back of the building, we've got a little squat rack set up, some kettlebells, some dumbbells. So I, mean, I actually came in last night and I caught like our vice president getting a workout in. Um, so it's definitely like the culture we have here. Like in between patients, we'll be hitting some pull-ups, doing some squats, stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it's it's awesome. I love that, man. Yeah, we got to tell whoever was there last that they need to put their weights away because I, actually, like to be honest, I did that this morning because I got I set up the camera and I'm like, you can kind of oh. like, let me throw some plates on there so you know. So it, I look better. I, I know no burpee challenge, uh, like uh, repercussions for me. I'll take care of it. So I wanted to start here. You know, I was looking up on Merrick Health, which I got connected to you through um, Stephen, who works with Merrick Health, who I've had my blood work done through Merrick Health. And I was on your guys's website in terms of meeting the team. And I saw at the end of your name, uh, it's, you know, doctor and it's DPM. And then if I switch over to this gentleman, um, Dr. Stephen Campbell, his is MD. And so I thought a good place to start with this conversation, because frankly, I, I don't know the difference, is the difference between DPM and then MD, because both of them have doctor in the front. But I was just, I was just curious uh, to kind yeah. of lay the framework of it. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's something that isn't um, not a lot of people really understand the differentiation. So there's quite a few different paths that one can take when becoming a um 
a doctor and I don't want to say like medical doctor because that's confusing. That's more of like the MD. We all practice medicine, but they specifically call themselves medical doctors. So there's MD, which is a medical doctor. There's DO, which is a doctor of osteopathic medicine. And then there's a, a doctor of podiatric medicine. And that's what I am. So that means that basically we um, uh, practice solely on the lower extremity, um, usually from like the knee down, so the foot and ankle. Um, and we, uh, at this point in time, we basically take like all of our, our classes alongside either MDs or DOs. We're very equal in our schooling. Um, we have a lot of the same similar classes, similar boards and stuff like that. Um, we just specialize from day one in foot and ankle pathology. Um, so it's, uh, it is interesting. It's something that has uh, kind of just passed down due to politics and different governing boards. Um, uh, for, for example, like MD and DO, in my opinion, they're the exact same degree. They, they do all the same stuff. They're equally as good. Um, but it's just that one, they, they have different degrees. Um, so we do specialize in foot and ankle and you may be wondering like why I'm, you know, part of this, uh, yeah. clinic, Eric, you know, how did I get into hormone optimization and things like that? And, uh, I, I mean, I can dive into that at some point. Yeah. I mean, if you want now, I no, certainly for sure. I mean, well, how do you go from being a doctor who's focusing mainly on the lower extremity and how does that carry over to blood work? Because yeah. I mean, I imagine you need to know blood work, right? That's kind of like common in, right. in medicine. And yeah. then you, uh, so whether you're an MD or, or you're focused on the lower extremity, are you taking similar classes in terms of like the heart, the lungs, the blood work, those systems? I, I imagine they're similar, right? Yeah. And that's something I, I would definitely like a lot of people sometimes think like, well, all you learn about is the foot. Well, yeah. actually, we didn't really even learn about the foot until our third or fourth year of school. Like I was sitting right alongside those MDs and DOs and we were doing, you know, kidney medicine and liver and lungs and brain. You know, we were learning all this stuff because, you know, it all connects um, the things that we do. Uh, for example, a lot of what we do is like diabetic wound care. We obviously need to understand diabetes, which is going to impact the whole rest of the body, you know. So it wouldn't really make sense to just understand the foot and not understand the rest of the body that it's connected to. Um, so kind of my story and how I got into like the, the lab work and the optimization stuff um, actually came through just being a podiatrist. And uh, it actually kind of in my residency. So I did a residency in foot and ankle surgery um, with like interest oh. in rear foot reconstructive surgery. Um, so while I was doing that, you know, we would get a lot of patients in, um, like I said, that have diabetes that have, um, these wounds caused by diabetes, uh, because long story short, basically what happens is they lose sensation of their foot and they very easily, you know, get these ulcers and things. So, you know, if we have a tight pair of shoes and we're rubbing a blister, we know, and we put a bandaid on it or we change shoes, they don't know because they can't feel it. So they'll walk around and wear a hole into their foot. They'll get infected. So that's why you see a lot of patients with diabetes having these ulcers and losing toes, feet, things like that. Um, but I would see these guys coming in over and over again. Oh, I'm sorry. Question for you on that. Like, so why is it that diabetes attacks the lower extremities like that? What in particular causes that uh, inflammation? I mean, what, what happens? Yeah, so it's a it's a large cascade of a lot of different metabolic processes, but the main kind of driving thing that I was just speaking to was uh, we get what's called something called neuropathy, which is basically um, when the nerves are exposed to a high volume of sugar. Um, this is a very simplistic way of saying it, but we can just kind of imagine that the nerves are going to be like crystallized and damaged, just like uh, you know rock candy that kids have, where the sugar kind of crystallizes around the string. Um, very similar. Sugar does the same type of stuff to our uh, in, to our internal organs, to our nerves, to our arteries. 
So their, art, their nerves get damaged and they lose the sensation. Um, and that's where, you know, we, we just talk about like they get wounds, but there's also issues with the blood vessels. So uh, the same type of thing is going to happen to the blood vessels, causing there to not be good blood flow down there. So that adds another uh, issue. So that's going to, you know, nutrients and things can't make it down there to heal. Also, it's going to infect the, uh, the way that their skin quality is kind of breaking that down. So a lot of times people with diabetes will have very dry, thick skin. And so it's just this whole host of issues that are causing uh, the terrible environment um, for things like ulcers. And, you know, you're walking around on these feet every single day. They're taking a beating and it shows, unfortunately. And so you you get you start your um, you said your residency was in surg surgery. But yeah, backing up a little bit. So you and I um, actually almost 10 years ago, you sent me a picture almost 10 years ago. You and I met at a regionals CrossFit regionals event. So obviously you've been in the functional training, CrossFit, powerlifting, bodybuilding space for a really long time. Yeah. And so did you know that you wanted to get into uh, like being a doctor early on? And then, and then I guess, did you, are you one of those unique people that I love where you basically see the value of like nutrition and fitness, but you also wanted to get like the, the medical side and help bridge that gap? Uh, is that kind of yeah. how you got started in medicine? I mean, kind of going back in time. And then obviously I want to go back into diabetes and things like that because I, I find a lot of interest in it but kind of going back how did you get interested in medicine and then what role did functional training crossfit powerlifting play in that whole like kind of journey you know yeah i mean it, it played a huge one and i i just say like fitness saved my life and it literally did it literally changed the entire trajectory of my life so back to your question is if I uh, always wanted to be a doctor and wanted to get into medicine, like, no, absolutely not. I, to be honest, I, I hardly passed high school and not because it was a real struggle for me. I just had no drive. I was, uh, I was kind of a little skate punk. Like I was skateboarding around, like had no worries. And, uh, you know, I, I graduated just barely. Um, uh, my parents had made me enroll in a, a local community college, basically telling me like, you're going to go to college or we're kicking you out. And so uh, I, I enrolled and I got my classes. I never went to any of them. So I failed like my first uh, semester, like a ridiculous amount of units because, you know, I didn't really realize that if you don't show up, they're not going to kick you out themselves. They just leave you on and throw you an F. Um, and, and so it wasn't until years later, until I was about 20, I think, that um, I had some other stuff going on. I just kept messing around. I was kind of messing around with drugs like wasn't really drugs like in this day and age it's not even a big thing i was just you know getting high smoking weed and stuff like that i never got into hard drugs but for me it's you know felt like i was just going down the wrong path drinking hanging out with friends not doing anything um i just had this like epiphany like i am not doing anything with my life i'm you know i need to change something so i kind of like one day I, I cut my hair i had long hair i threw away all those ratty clothes and everything i changed everything about me literally in one day I enrolled in college again. Um, I got a gym membership and the gym membership was really what changed a lot for me. So I started getting obsessed with working out. I'm kind of one of those people that if I'm going to do something, I'm going to give it 110%. And so I did, like I would go home, I'd be reading about the physiology and the biochemistry of working out, trying to really dial into it. I was like, you know, I really love this stuff. I have a true passion for it. And so I went to a personal training course and that was fun. I started doing some personal training and I still was, it wasn't enough for me. So I um, started taking courses, like I took physiology and aced it and loved it. And then anatomy, uh, biochemistry and chemistry. And I was just like really getting into the science of it. Um, was able to transfer outside of, uh, outside the community college into a university. I went to Sonoma State University in California, where you are. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. State. yeah. And uh, it was like, it was at that time too, I was thinking, well, maybe I can do something in medicine because I really love the science stuff. Um, but I thought that, you know, I'm, I don't have the pedigree to be a doctor because I, I, I thought this way. And some people might that, you know, you basically have to be born where you're going on yachts with your parents and you're going to Harvard and Yale and Stanford and things. And, you know, I just wasn't that kid. And I'm like, I could never be a doctor. Maybe, maybe I could be a nurse. And then I would set my, set, uh, my goals a little higher. Maybe I could be a physician assistant. Um, and so I went and I, I was volunteering for a doctor, just shadowing and, he kind of saw my work ethic and talked to me. He's like, why do you want to be a physician assistant? Not there's anything wrong with them, but why are you aiming so low? Like, I see a lot of potential in you. And, you know, I kind of told him like, well, you know, I'm, I wasn't raised that way. I don't really have that pedigree. You know, I'm not that person to be a doctor. And he let me know like, hey man, I was the surfer until I was 30. And I, started, I went to a community college and then I got into all these medical schools and it was, you know, it basically telling me there's alternate routes gave me a lot of uh, encouragement. So from there on, I kind of decided I knew that I wanted to get into medicine. Um, at that point, this kind of dives into the why podiatry is I really liked dermatology. That's what this doctor was who I was shadowing. So I liked okay. um, issues with like the skin. It was just a lot of fun to, it was a little bit of mix of surgery um, with a lot of clinic exposure. So you were seeing patients one-on-one. -on -one. I also really liked orthopedic surgery. So working on bones. Um, two very different things. And if you go the traditional MD or MRDO route, you have to decide when you graduate, am I going to go into dermatology or orthopedics? Um, not only do you have to decide, but you have to match into those, which is very hard. It's an extremely competitive field where you have to just be acing every exam and really show up during medical school in order to uh, match into one of those programs to be an either orthopedist or a dermatologist. Until one day we brought a podiatrist into the dermatology practice to help with the nail uh, procedure because podiatrists do a lot of nail procedures. Got to talking to him and he's telling me about the bone surgery that he did before uh, coming in. You know, he did like this ankle fracture. So I'm like, whoa, that's like orthopedics. And then he's helping us with this dermatologic process. And I'm like, there's the two things that I love put together. I didn't even know podiatry was a, a separate field. Um, you know, most people don't. They all just kind of consider us to be doctors. Um, but it was at that point I decided, well, that's the thing for me. I'm going to go into that. Um, but then eventually that changed too. And that's why I'm here, which we can get into later. So how old were you when you, you know, it's funny, a, a really close friend of mine, he, you know, graduated from school, whatever. And then boom, he's like, you know what? I want to be a doctor. Uh, and so he's actually, um, an emergency medicine doctor and, but he got into it when he was like, I want to say he was probably. I don't know, late twenties, maybe even early, like maybe late twenties, maybe even close to 30 before he really like, he had to go back to school and go take all the classes again. Cause he had gotten a degree in something else. Like yeah. when did you make that switch? Was it like in your late twenties? So, yeah, it was about 20, I think when I kind of cleaned up and it was from that day that I was like, I'm going to do everything right. So I started acing all my classes at the community college and no, I was pretty much set on the path then. Um, I did always feel like I was kind of behind everybody else because even it was only two years, but it felt like a lifetime. You know, when you're younger, just mm -hmm. being two years behind everybody seems like it's insane. I'm never going to be a doctor, but I'm like, I need to you know, put the pedal to the metal. So I was taking summer courses, winter courses. My, my semesters were jam packed where I was trying to dig myself out of the hole, too. Because remember, I was coming in with like a zero GPA because I'd failed yeah. all the classes. I had to remake up those. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was about 20, but I definitely came in with that mindset of like, 
basically whenever I put my mind to something, I know like if I give this my all, good things are going to come. You know, I was never the smartest, like never the strongest, things like that. But as you're, you know, the title of the podcast, like effort, you know, it was really like grind. And, and if you keep working day after day, showing up, giving it your all, good things are going to come, you know? Yeah, you and I have, I mean, similar but different stories. Like I, I was similar in high school, right? I was, you know, popular guy, partied a lot, wasn't really applying myself much got out and then i went to a junior college same idea and um my kind of wake up thing was like i realized at that moment actually similar to you was like no one was there to kind of like chaperone me through the process it's like hey man like gone are the days where your teachers calling your mom to say hey you know like you know because high school is kind of designed to uh, progress you through right? right junior college is like hey man you could be here for a year you could be here for 10 years we don't really give a shit like yeah, you gotta apply yourself yeah uh, so anyway, similar, similar background in that sense. So kind of pivoting a little bit, you know, you, 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 you thought this was like the vision for what you want to do, which, um, I, I, I find that to be super rewarding that you, you have these opportunities, right? And I think like nurse practitioners, nurses, uh, physicians, assistant, they're all like amazing people. And, Absolutely. you know, we've spent some time in the hospital cause my daughter was sick and yeah. each one of them plays such a critical role in the success oh, of the patient. 100%. Um, yeah, I often tell people too, like, you know, when I'm doing surgery, like the janitor has as big of a role as I do because they came in and cleaned the room and sterilized the room. Like I couldn't have done surgery unless that happened, you know, like that I, I we are a team. Um, and that's what I really like about Merrick too, which we'll get into is we have so many different people on the team and none of us are kind of like above the other. Um, that's one thing in medicine I kind of dislike, like doctors looking down on NPs or nurses and things like we're not superior. We're just another part of the team, you know? side tangent but i just thought i'd get that out there shout out to all the the nps and pas and nurses and mas and all that stuff you know we're all in it together yeah no i i i'm not on your side but as a patient side like i agree with you you got to work it all together and so you know as you're pursuing your career what made you because i mean again you're bridging the gap between like someone who's just pushing pills to you know say hey this person has diabetes well you deal with a lot of people have diabetes and there's probably quite a few people that you've dealt with that lifestyle choices were probably an incredible reason why they had that impact. Yep. Is that what kind of pushed you into kind of like this idea of Merrick or, yeah. or my off base there? No. Yeah. 100%. So I like, I think back to like one uh, example in particular. Um, I mean, all through school and everything, we were dealing with all kinds of diabetes, a lot of wound care. So like the wounds that we see, you know, they're, they're the things that will make people's stomach turn. Like literally people come in with maggots, like eating down to the bone in their foot. And you now this is a routine thing for a podiatrist to see every really? Second. Yeah, really. It's not so like <laughs> it, it's crazy. It is 100% happens. Um, yeah. So like in residency, then I, you kind of, you're as just a student, you're seeing it all, you're a part of it. But as a resident, you kind of, as, as you progress, you start taking on patients of your own. I remember a patient got, um, sent to us and he had just been diagnosed with pre-diabetes and i'm like really excited about this like i'm going to make an impact in this dude's life like a lot of times i'm seeing them when you know the bone's exposed and then it's too late uh you can't reverse like that neuropathy at that point but i'm seeing this guy and i'm like this is awesome so i give him the spiel like you know you this is reversible this is a like this is not a diagnosis that you have to live by like i like to tell people you are not diabetic you're a person with diabetes and you can soon be a person that no longer has diabetes, you know? Um, I think, you know, for uh, like Greg Glassman, I think for a while ran that campaign of like, we cure diabetes. 
he wasn't wrong. You know, exercise and lifestyle and stuff can cure diabetes. It's it's a preventable and reversible disease. So I'm talking to this guy like, hey, you've been diagnosed with this pre-diabetes, but good news, like we can change this around. You know, just the, do these things with your diet and your lifestyle, everything. And then I, I don't see him again for, I think it was like six months or so. And he comes in and he has full-blown diabetes and he has a wound on his foot. And, you know, and I'm like, damn, this sucks. Like what we're, we're failing this guy because, you know, I'm only getting to see him for like five minutes really quick. In my residency, we had like hundred patients coming through the clinic and we would just do quick foot exams. And, you know, I told him like, I'm hoping that I've made some impact, but I didn't. Um, and, you know, I'm just like, this sucks. And the primary care isn't doing much for him. They're just basically, you know, giving metformin, insulin, all these things, you know, these diabetic drugs, but not really getting down to the actual, you know, issues. So, it was at that point that I, I kind of was like, this really sucks. I hate the fact that I'm doing like reactive medicine and not preventative medicine. Um, and that's just not me, you know, cause I'm all about optimization and everything. That's why I got into this. Cause I love the science and I love health and, and this is not health. It's like, you know, it's sick care. It's not healthcare, which is unfortunate. Man. Yeah. You know, you're the second person I've heard talk about this idea of like sick care versus yeah. healthcare. And it makes, uh, I've, I've heard that term before. I think it makes total sense. Now you're talking about now, did people come into you? Uh, most people were what type two diabetic or, yeah. or right. And, and, and so in that particular case, like you said, you just saw it time after time. I mean, this guy had an opportunity to like make a change and it actually would have helped them then boom. And right. so when you talk about sick care versus healthcare, um, I imagine you're trying to be more proactive instead of reactive is the yeah. biggest differentiator there. And Absolutely. lifestyle is the number one factor. It's huge. Yeah. 100%. So yeah, like, like we talked about this type two diabetes and not to be mistaken with type one, which is genetic and the, you know, it's, they had nothing to do with it. Their pancreas has just failed them, unfortunately. But with type two, it was literally, you know, uh, it's an accumulation of the lifestyle of being inactive and consuming too much food. And they're very easy to do in today's day and age. And we just don't have the infrastructure set up to basically tell people what they need to live a healthy life. Um, in fact, like it's what a part of that I love about Merrick is that half the labs and stuff that might tell these people that they're trending towards the, a path of being in, in bad water, you know, we don't even allow them to get. Uh, for example, the A1C, the hemoglobin A1C, it's a measurement of uh, basically how much blood sugar uh, your red blood cells have been exposed to for the past three months. So it's a way that we look to see, um, you know, if you're trending towards diabetes or something. Uh, insurance companies won't even cover that to tell people that they might have prediabetes or are diabetic. There's a, so, you know, it's very hard for patients to even know if they're, they have these issues because something like feeling high blood pressure or sugar, you don't really feel that. Same with blood pressure though, you know, you don't feel these things. It's not like a trauma. Um, it's not like they they feel any of these processes going on in their body. So it's totally understandable that they don't make lifestyle changes. You know, they're, they're told you got diabetes. They're thinking, well, I can't really feel it. You know, I feel fine. This is my normal. I'm, I'll just continue eating, you know, it sucks. Oh. And so the insurance, like, and, and the insurance companies have to, so you're saying like this A1, so I, I took that. Now, when I got my blood work done with you guys, I had just started, I was probably a couple weeks in on just a meat and fruit diet, if I'm not mistaken. I think I was a couple weeks in when I, when I took this blood work, I need to do it again. But what you're saying is that this, this particular, um, uh, what do you refer marker, right? Yeah, marker um, here. 
you that the insurance companies won't cover it. So I imagine most people just won't even ever get it. Is there other, I mean, that's the, is that the number one indicator of kind of like pre-diabetic? Is that A1C? Is that, that yeah, that's one. Um, there's that. And then there's also your fasting glucose. So um, there's oh, a yeah. few measurements that, uh, that doctors can use to actually give you a diagnosis of uh, diabetes. Um, but that's a great marker because other things can impact the fasting glucose. We never know if maybe a patient threw some creamer in their coffee in the morning or something, and we're getting a, a, a reading that's not quite correct. But you can't really lie about the A1C um, because it is a measurement of, uh, I mean, you can think of it as the sugar has basically stained the blood cells, and we're looking to see how much of a mark it's left on it for a three-month period. So that's why it's kind of nice about that. And it's not all insurance companies, but it is, you know, some won't cover that. And and it's just, uh, you know, half the labs that we order here at Merrick, um, the, the sad thing is, is like, you know, I'll see these patients and they'll go to their primary care and be like, I ran these labs with my doc. And I would say 95% of the time they say that their doctor said like, who the hell is ordering these labs? These are crazy. Why would you want to look this? Why are you looking into this stuff? Like you don't need this stuff. And it's because they're just used to practicing this reactive type medicine and not preventative. So what, so what have you seen? So I do want to talk about how you got into America, but what have you seen at a high level? Because medicine evolves, right? I mean, medicine a hundred years ago is a lot different than it is today. And, and I, I imagine like some of these doctors that were in school 20 years ago, or 30 years ago, I mean, technology has improved, markers have improved, but is there just a lack of just awareness on the, the usefulness of some of these tests? I mean, or how much of it is kind of like, um, I mean, because I hate to use the word like, uh, like the system's broken, right? I imagine most of these guys want to help their patients out. Yeah. They just might not be aware of some of these tools. Um, I don't know exactly what how to frame the question, but it's just like, anyways, this science. Oh, I'm looking at, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, yeah, I totally agree with you, and it's hard for me because you know I do. I love medicine. And I love my colleagues and stuff, and I do feel like most people are in it for the right reasons. We're just not truly given the tools. Um, a lot of the times, we're governed by the insurance companies, so. Even if a doc wants to order these extensive lab panels, who's going to pay for it? You know, they're usually going to the insurance companies aren't going to cover it. Um, the, they're going to get charged out the ass for this stuff or any of these preventive medications stuff they won't cover. So the doctor is really limited by the insurance companies or the institution that they work for. So if they're in like a hospital group and the hospital group doesn't agree with ordering you know, these tests that they don't deem necessary, they can't do it. You know, And so uh, another thing, too, is we just don't really learn how to, um, you know, people don't learn how to optimize. We, as doctors, we don't learn how to optimize. We learn how to fix what's broken, not make what's good better. You know, uh, um, So it's, it's hard. There's, a, there's few markers that we order on Merrick that I'm sure that if you bring to your doc, they'll probably need to look up. Um, you know, because full disclosure, I did too. I'm like, what is this? This is cool. You know, things like, for example, the C-statin C, which is a marker of um, your kidney health, which is great because I actually got the chance to look at your labs, Jason. And if you look, you'll see that you have some elevated kidney markers. So a normal doc may look at that and be one and kind of give you an eye, like you got something going on with your kidneys. Well, uh -huh. no, you don't. You are an athlete with a ton of muscle mass. You may be taking creatine. You probably just worked out and put some stress on the system. And so we know that like athletes are going to have elevated kidney markers. So we look at this thing called a cystatin C um, to actually look for our athletes to see the true health of, of the kidneys. And that's how we can tell, you know. So it's small things like that is like most docs don't even work with a population like yourself. You know, you probably don't need to go to the doctor very often because you're probably pretty healthy. You know, they don't see many people like you. Like I said, we see them when, you know, the bones are exposed in the foot. <laughs> like, yeah. 
And, and so let's talk about Merrick. So, you know, we got connected to Merrick. I went and got my blood work done. It was an extensive panel. It's the first time that I can remember in a long time that I've had this extensive. And I actually looked up my hemoglobin A1C. And I don't mind, by the way, sharing any of my blood work numbers because, frankly, there's, I mean, it's, nothing for me to hide. Um, and I'm looking at my numbers. It says 5.3. It looks like pre-diabetic is, is, you know, significantly higher than that. But that's the number that people could potentially be getting to see if they're in that range. That's, yeah. so that's interesting. 5.3. Now, now talk to me about Merrick Health. So you're, are you, you were a practicing uh, doctor and then found Merrick or did you actually finish your residency, get done and then go, uh, you know, directly into Merrick Health. How did that work? Yeah, so I was only practicing for a short amount of time before um, one of the owners of Merrick reached out to me. Um, he had just kind of seen me, I believe, on like social media and was like, hey, you seem to, the things you're posting and stuff seem to kind of uh, resonate with what our mission is here. Um, and, you know, I, to kind of go back on that too, to kind of talk about like my history with like hormones and things like that, because it is yeah, very, yeah very strange for a foot doctor to be in a, a field like this. Um, so per like just uh, the full disclosure again, like, you know, I was an athlete. Um, I was somebody who was uh, very interested in optimizing and performance enhancing. And I had dabbled with performance enhancing substances myself and got, um, you know, went to the basically you know, PubMed University on this stuff because you're not learning this. So I was just obsessed with basically learning the, the literature on performance enhancing, you know, the testosterone, the synthetic performance enhancing drugs, growth hormone, all of that. So you know, I had fully submerged myself into that for my own personal use and my close friends and things. Um, and then also in my practice, uh, actually, one of these wounds I'm talking about um, we have various treatments for them. Um, one patient in particular where this first kind of started for me had this wound that just wasn't healing, like what we call a recalcitrant wound that's just like we're throwing everything at it. We've done surgery. We've done grafts. We've built them special shoes. Nothing's healing this wound. Well, I see this paper that was published. Uh, the, the person's name is Kalchenko in 2009. The study came out of Russia where they found that um, hypogonadal men, so men with uh, low testosterone, with diabetic foot ulcers responded really well when they normalized their testosterone levels. So when they gave them huh. TRP or testosterone replacement therapy, they found a reduction in inflammation markers, improvements in all the diabetic markers, improvements in blood flow to the wound, and they were able to heal wounds this way. So I'm like, this is awesome. Um, I reach out to this patient's endocrinologist who should be dealing with their hormones. And I let them know like, hey, I've tried all this stuff on him. This patient, I got his testosterone tested. He's basically in female levels. You know, he should have much higher elevated than he does. And the endocrinologist was just like, yeah, no, we're like, I don't do testosterone replacement. No need for that. That's like crazy that you're even thinking of that, you know, kind of just shot me down. Um, like, okay. So I call his, uh, his primary care, same thing basically, but he was a little bit more, more open-minded like, Hey, I'm not comfortable really with hormone replacement therapy. It sounds like you got a pretty good gist of this stuff. He was like, I'll continue to medically manage this person. If you want to initiate that treatment, and then part of my license does say that I can treat all systemic disease as related to the foot and ankle. So I can treat to prevent and uh, to, or I can prevent and treat any systemic disease that pertains to the foot and ankle. And so it fell within my scope to, you know, prescribe this guy some testosterone and with the use of, or with the help of his medical doctor, we started him on this uh, treatment and four months later, the wound was healed. Like no joke. It was, it was pretty awesome. 
And so I started continuing to kind of do this. I would throw these labs in every now and then on my patients with uh, these foot ulcers or diabetic issues. And I kept seeing this trend of hypogonadism, which is uh, just the medical term for low testosterone. And it was, you know, I'd, I'd call their doc, make sure that their MD was on board with it because it is, uh, you, you know, as we talked about medicines, uh, uh, a team and I, I don't want to, you know, I, I don't have the same exact training as a lot of these guys as their primary care and their internists and their uh, urologists and um, endocrinologists and stuff. They're the specialists in that. I'm the foot specialist. So we'd work together. Um, and, but I was healing a lot of people this way. So then, you know, fast forward to talking to Merrick, you know, I'm like, yeah, I do actually have a lot of um, background in this space, not only from personal use, which was what they were really excited about because we have a big culture here and we're, we're all about culture on, you know, can you help our patients who basically, um, you know, the medical system might judge them, you know, if they come in saying like, hey, I'm prepping for a bodybuilding show and I'm using illegal steroids. Can you help me to be healthier? Where their doc would maybe be, you know, a little judgmental. We're the kind of yeah. people who will accept them. So they were looking more for that. I'm like, yeah. And, and you know, I do have history with this stuff too. Um, so, yeah, that, that's kind of where I started with Merrick. Dude, that's crazy about the the um, testosterone increase off a Russian study that you then brought back. And that's, anyways, kudos to you, man, because I think that, like I said, technology changes all the time. And um, I, I want, so I want to talk about hormone replacement and and what that actually means, because there's synthetic components and then there's natural. So I, the way I, I I see it, and I could be totally off base, is that you have like these synthetic steroids that are not normally found in your body that you're then putting into your body, which produce X, Y, Z. These are like typically when people think about steroids, I think that's what they're kind of thinking of, right? Really, really big. Then you have these normal hormones in your body, like testosterone and other things that basically it's hormone replacement where you could take naturally producing hormone in your body and basically give you more. Did I summarize that right? Or am I tripping? Yeah. Yeah, no, pretty well. Um, so yeah, basically, you know, testosterone is um, kind of the main hormone for a man. It's what gives us you know, our sexual characteristics, you know, it helps with building muscle, um, you know, mood enhancements, the hair that we have, things like that. Women do have testosterone too, but to a lesser degree. But that's, uh, you know, in a nutshell, in a very like layman's term, like testosterone is what makes a man a man. Um, and so, yeah, when you're doing actual TRD, which is testosterone replacement therapy, you're not loading these people up so that they're going to get on the Olympia stage, you know, and, and be completely you know, roided out, as people say. We're just literally replacing the deficiency. So the same as you would like vitamin D. For example, vitamin D is actually a hormone as well. And so when you have low vitamin D, you take more of it. It's the exact same um, idea with testosterone. You have low testosterone, we give you more. We're not trying to get you into what we would call super physiologic states. We're trying to get you into a normal physiologic state. And so that could mean for you know, a guy who's maybe in their 40s and their testosterone is starting to lower, things are starting to slow down for them. They're not recovering as well. They're putting on body fat. They don't have good libido really anymore. We're just literally kind of trying to get them back to where they felt in their 20s and 30s, you know? We're just replacing what they once had. Exactly the same as any other nutrient or something that you would replace. Huh. And so aside from um, uh, testosterone, is there other hormones that, or is that like the, the baseline one that you've seen? So in, in general, when you look at people's blood work, and you've probably worked, looked at thousands of people's blood work, would you say that for men in particular, that would be like one of the biggest hormones that could be 
adjust it to make a biggest impact on their health or is there something else we should be considering yeah no i mean it could be um one thing that i like would love to stress about like what we do here at merrick is um i, I don't want to come across as like a trt clinic as a testosterone mm. replacement clinic like we do do testosterone um but our main mission is human optimization and so that literally means everything. Sometimes we're just recommending taking some vitamins if that's all you need to optimize yourself. Sometimes we're recommending getting out and getting some sunlight or sleep. Like testosterone is one of the many treatments that we may offer. So we're getting, as you saw, you know, we get the lab panel. It's a massive lab panel and we, we look at every single marker. We're not just scrolling straight to testosterone. You know, that's just one of, I don't know, on yours, there's probably what, 25, 30 different markers on there. Um, testosterone is a small one. So as far as hormones go, it's one of the big ones. We're also looking at other hormones, um, things like DHEA, pregnenolone, estrogen, which is also important for men. So we're looking at a host of things. And when someone's evaluating themselves, like based off, because like you can't just go get blood work tomorrow. It's, I mean, you can, but not many people do it. Um, is there any, so aside from like living a healthy lifestyle based on what you're seeing, like exercising regularly, eating better, what signs would they say that they need to go get blood work done? I mean, or how often would you recommend somebody getting blood work done? I mean, because yeah. it, it does take some effort, right? right. So I, in, in my opinion, the effort part is pretty low. Like, it, you know, it takes driving to the lab <laughs> and putting your arm out, though the, the financial burden is something I certainly understand for people. Um, before even getting in with Merrick, I would make it a point to get my own labs um, drawn like every six months. And I do have, uh, looking right here on my desktop, I have a, a folder called Personal Labs and it goes back to like 2015. I get them every six months and look. Um, so that's ideal. Obviously, again, as I said, you know, unfortunately, some people don't have the financial means. So if you could even do it every year or every two years, what's really nice, whether you have symptoms or not, is that you can you know see trends um i like you know for example you told me that you were uh, eating meat and fruit only super interesting to be able to see how your your lab work correlated with that diet and then you can maybe uh, next time you're eating like a really low fat high carbohydrate diet you know see what your labs look like then maybe you've been busting your ass at work and only sleeping a few hours a night see how that impacted you know um, I like it for data points. So if you have the financial means, there's, in my opinion, what's better to invest in rather than your health, you know, uh, having a, a ton of money in the future, if we're not able to use it because we're bedridden, it's going to be terrible. Um, and I'm all about the data points. I mean, like right now I'm wearing the, the, the continuous. Yeah. I love it. You know, it's really super interesting to have another data point. Um, I just saw a post on Instagram too, where a doctor was like, you know, people who, uh, who don't have diabetes have no right wearing one of these. It's just stupid. Why would you do that? Like, why are we telling people that they shouldn't get a look at their labs? You know, it's crazy to me. You know, it's funny. I wore a CGM for a couple months, right? Like I think I wore it for like 60 days and I found to be super fascinating. So not to pivot this conversation, but I think this is really fascinating to me. What have you noticed? So I, I obviously you could look at your fasting blood sugar, right? Or you fasted like kind of like right when you wake up blood sugar, but then you could see the, the peaks and valleys based off what you eat. But, but yeah. for me, it was even more based off my exercise. Yeah. Are you seeing something similar? And then I have a layering question for that. What are you seeing with your CGM? Cause I wore mine for over a month and I found yeah. it to be pretty cool. So some like first night, the coolest thing I saw is that I have something called the Dawn phenomenon, um, which is your blood sugar spikes on its own, basically right, like right before working or waking up. 
pretty interesting, like stuff like that. I'm like, I'm kind of a nerd for this stuff. So I'm like, that's so cool, you know? And I'm thinking of the physiology, like, yeah, my cortisol raise, which caused my body temperature to raise, which tells me to wake up, but it's also telling my liver to produce more glucose so that I can keep the day going, you know? So that was cool. Um, that was one of the fun things. Then yeah, with exercise, you'll likely see uh, pretty high spike in glucose too, because your uh, your insulin goes down, you know, you need more glucose to get through the workout. The more intense of a workout, usually glucose goes even higher um, during the workout and then falls off pretty low afterwards too. Is that something similar to what you saw? Yeah. So just to kind of um, lay some framework, what a CGM is, is a continuous glucose monitor. And typically um, I wore mine um, with a patch on top of it on my stomach. Now mm. Adam is wearing it on his like tricep. I wore it on my stomach in particular because of uh, the jujitsu that I do. Yeah, and I, I, figured it would, it, I figured it would be less of a place that would be impacted by someone's you know, grabbing. Now, what I noticed is because of the time that I was wearing it, my, my nutrition was like really on point. Um, I didn't see too many peaks and valleys on with food consumption much. I did uh, at one point I was off my diet and I drank uh, two old fashions. And I saw it spike like no other. Yeah. But what I saw, and this is like uh, at a high level, if I'm not mistaken, I want to say it was in the 200s, if not like 220. So if I was doing like a high intensity workout at our gym, I would get to like 150, 180 at uh, um, blood sugar, which I don't even know exactly. What, what does that even mean? Uh, it's milligrams. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. So that's just the, the amount um, basically per... Yeah, it's the amount of sugar that's in your blood. So like milligrams per deciliter or something, it's the actual like the solid the solid um, glucose within the fluid. So it's saying for X amount of fluid, you have X amount of solid glucose. And so I spiked up to like 180 or whatever, doing workouts at our gym, and then go back down to like, I don't know, 90 or 100 or whatever it is. And But then when I did things like jujitsu, I found my spike like unbelievably high when I had like this fire flight mode or when it, I was in like a very high stress situation. So for me with a high, high, high intensity workout versus like a high, high intensity in jujitsu, I saw a massive difference. Did you see any difference between when you connected your brain with your body more versus like, did you see that carry over or no? Yeah. So I haven't been in any situation like that, though. I would suspect like, you know, you're basically getting into a fight if you're like doing jujitsu, you know, you're like you said, fight or flight, you literally are. So you're throwing in that sympathetic nervous system. Um, I could imagine that, you know, cortisol and things are raising. Um, also the, the energy demand is raising. So you're, you're already getting that spike of glucose just from the exercise. And then you're getting that sympathetic drive from your nervous system and all the mental stuff going on. I, I, it makes sense. And then it dropped off dramatically. And so that's what you're looking for in a CGM, right? You're yeah. looking for, you're, you're, are, you're looking to be at like this level state and then you, you start exercising and you're what happens when you start exercising and why why does your blood sugar spike and then how quickly do you want to see it drop off yeah so that that's all going to depend and and really there's yeah it's interesting so basically what's happening when you're working out is your um the insulin is basically inhibited um, which is kind of a, a paradox you might think that we need to shuttle insulin in um, but it doesn't so that uh, other things like the liver can produce more glucose for us um, and so blood glucose does go up because it is going to be needed to recover from our workout. 
um, which, and then afterwards the insulin does spike in order to shuttle all that glucose into the muscle that we just used. And that's why we see it drop down. So insulin, you can think of as the, the kind of the transport system of glucose into the muscle. So during the workout, your body's, you know, filling up with a lot of glucose that it can be readily used. And then afterwards it needs to dispose of that. So the insulin kicks on and you shuttle it all in the same as like where bodybuilders exogenously use, uh, you know, uh, insulin after workouts to kind of mimic that, but at a higher degree. Um, so they'll do a really intense workout and then they'll do some insulin, drink some carbohydrates so that all get shuttled into the muscle right away and helps to repair and build that up. Huh? They'll actually take insulin and carbohydrates. So you hear about this post-workout kind of like, is it time to have carbs that helps basically funnel, uh, nutrients into the muscle and the insulin, are they like, they're actually like shooting themselves the insulin to support that? Yeah, it's pretty common practice in bodybuilding for people huh. to use exogenous insulin. Um, there's a few different ways you can use slow acting insulin where you just like do one shot a day and it's in the background and that just basically helps with their um, their massive intake of food. They, they need some help shuttling that in because these guys are eating, you know, upwards of like 7,000 calories some days, which is just insane. You know, it's a lot of food that needs to be shuttled in. So it actually is probably a healthy practice to take some uh, burden off their pancreas when they're doing that. Um, other guys use the, the more fast acting where they just crush to work out and they shoot some insulin. Um, and then they eat the carbs and protein for that acute kind of effect. Um, so yeah, it is a practice pretty common in the bodybuilding world. Dude, I mean, you just seem like you've, you've really, like for lack of a term, like nerded out on like the body and, and how it, how it functions. So you were in bodybuilding. What did you see the transition between, so you're in a CrossFit, you're in a bodybuilding, you're in a powerlifting. Were you like deep into each one of those at different times yeah. or you kind of like across the board? No, I get like, I kind of said, I kind of dive in, go like, you know, 110%. Um, yeah, it's interesting because, too, I, another part that I kind of forgot to bring up when I said like fitness saved my life, like it did. So I had growing up just strangely, don't even know what caused it, but like through high school and, and after I had a pretty strong eating disorder, which I didn't even truly really realize for a while until it became like, really kind of apparent and you know obviously when i'm like gagging myself to throw out my meal i'm like okay there's something wrong here um working out really kind of cured that for me because suddenly i was no longer concerned with not getting nutrients in my body i was concerned with eating as much as i possibly could to facilitate the workouts i was doing so i kind of started as like most guys probably do you know doing curls and chest press and things in the gym and um, you know, I started in the quote unquote bodybuilding, um, but it was more just like the bros at the gym. I started there. Um, but that kind of eating disorder thing was still kind of nagging. I didn't really like the fact that I was obsessing over my body all the time, always, you know, checking my abs in the mirror, making sure I wasn't getting fat. It was at that point, like, I think around maybe 2008, I found CrossFit. Uh, there's this like trainer in the gyms, like, dude, you got to check out this. Uh, this guy's like super jack too. Is I'm like, I don't want to look like this guy, so I'm gonna listen to what he says. But he's like, I do these workouts. So they just post them on this uh, this page every day. It's called a wad, and they they tell you the workout, and that's all I've been doing. And I'm like, cool. Um, funny because I came from a really small town up in Northern California, and when I'd moved uh, to Sonoma for college, I I saw Planet Fitness, and we didn't have like big gyms. We, we had like a gym that was looked like it was uh, out of the seventies. So I see planet fitness and like, cool, this is like a, a nice gym, you know, and I'm going to go to CrossFit there, which is probably funny to your listeners trying to do CrossFit at planet fitness. Oh but my God, my they buddy probably yelling at you like, yeah, yeah. We were learning cleans on the, uh, the preset bars, you know, with like oh, yeah. ones and stuff. We were doing deadlifts on the Smith machine. 
Um, we were trying to do burpees over the benches and stuff and tell that, you know, eventually they were like, I don't think this is a gym for you. You know, you guys got, you got to leave. We're not going to let you do this. Um, so yeah, I got really into CrossFit for a while, but that helps my body image so much. Cause you know, as you know, most gyms don't even have mirrors in them. Um, it became way more focused on performance for me, which was awesome. Like I loved the fact that, um, I could judge myself based on how fast I could do something or how heavy I could lift something, you know, it was no longer where I was too concerned with what I looked like, um, which was awesome because downstream, I ended up looking the best I ever had. Like, you know, most of you guys do. Uh, it wasn't until like uh, after undergrad and stuff when I got into uh, podiatry school and, and the demand was much um, crazier. Like I was actually competing in stuff in CrossFit too, just at, like a local level. But still, even when you're competing like that, I feel like the demand for training is pretty high. You know, I was used to training yeah. three times a day, had to dial that way back. And so I got more into like powerlifting through uh, like podiatry school and stuff. And then eventually I was just starting to be like, uh, you know, the, like my joints really hurt and stuff. Let me do a little bit more bodybuilding now. And I did, I gave myself a good run on the bodybuilding where I tried to bulk up pretty hard for a bit and just to see what it was like to kind of submerge myself in their lifestyle. And then I felt very unhealthy because it was basically like be as inactive as you possibly can for a while and then go do a workout and shovel a ton of food down your throat. And I got kind of sick of that. Like I, I went on a walk around the block and I was like, I feel like I'm dying. This isn't good. And so I've since like transitioned more into just overall longevity and being, you know, going into old age, which I'm not old, but it, it, when I do, you know, I just want to transition in as healthy as possible. Just be well-rounded, have yeah. a little cardio, a little bit of strength and, and uh, worry a lot more about longevity now. You know, it's at, at, uh, at our business, right? Um, we started off very traditional CrossFit um, and then have transitioned to our company, NC Fit. Our goal is to help people live freely and fully outside the gym. That's our goal. And yeah. it's evolved, right? You know, back in the day, it was about the sport of fitness. And now we're like, hey, you know, let's get in some great strength. Let's get in some great conditioning. Let's do some accessory work. And let's help people go keep up with their kids, go crush it for the rest of their yeah. lives. Kind of similar journey to, to yourself. And I, I, I have to kind of pause and go back for a second because you kind of glanced over it. You said uh, basically fitness saved my life and you had an eating disorder. So we, when you talk about like an eating disorder, I think there's, you know, what do you mean by that? And how long did that impact you? Yeah, so there's a, um, there's a spectrum of eating disorders and um, I'm probably gonna get in trouble for this. My fiance is actually a dietitian who works with eating disorders. Um, so she would be a much better person to ask, but uh, I'll yeah. probably right. But there's, um, there's a whole host of different ones. So there's things like um, anorexia nervosa, that's uh, basically where they're just restricting calories and, you know, um, not eating enough. And then there's like a bulimia. And that's more where they're, um, they're eating the food, and then they're, they're getting rid of it in some way, be it throwing up or exercising too much or something. Then there's combinations of the two, there's things called like unspecified eating disorders. But it basically means that you have a, a very unhealthy relationship with food and your body image. Um, and so mine was a little bit of mixture of the anorexia and the bulimia. And so I always felt like I, I just couldn't be lean enough. And I don't know why I felt that way. Like, you know, I could see like all my abs, but when I looked in the mirror, I'm like, there's guys that look better than me that are leaner than me, you know? And then it got like, I got so kind of obsessed with that, that it would become like when I ate, I'm like, I need to get rid of this food because that's going to make me fat. And it was so strange. I've never had like an addiction or anything other than that, where I literally felt like, you know, I wasn't in control of myself because I would go through these times of like binging and purging where, you know, I'd be eating 
and be like, I felt like I was outside my body being like, why are you doing this? Stop that. Stop that. That's stupid. And I just keep doing it. And then I have to run to the bathroom. And the same thing. I'm like, this is disgusting. You know, why are you doing this? Why? And it was, it was crazy. Um, there's a lot of really interesting neurological, um, like science on that, uh, which is really cool, which we don't have the time to dive into. And I'm probably not the person to even speak on it because I don't fully understand it myself, but it's a, uh, it, it is a fascinating field. Yeah. You know, the, the whole, like having a healthy relationship with food is like such an in-depth conversation. I feel like for yeah. your fiance, what an amazing field to get into because I feel like, especially now with the likes of social media and whatnot, you know, maybe back in the day you're at the gym, you're kind of pumping with some dudes, their abs look a little bit better and you kind of start you start seeing that. Yeah. But now it's like social media is like everybody's highlight reel all the time. There's yeah. filters, there's all kinds of stuff. And I feel bad for these young adults or young children who are growing up because that is probably going to play an impact on them. And I imagine on their food as well. And so how long did, how long did that kind of like concept of like, okay, I'm going to eat something. Let's just say it's a cookie. Your body says, Hey, I want to eat this cookie. But then your body says, your mind says, Hey, you know, you're disgusting for eating that cookie. I need to get rid of it. ASAP. How long did that type of relationship with food last for? Or did, was that, and then, and then you found CrossFit or, or what was that? Yeah. So it was like, kind of present probably when I like turned, you know, like 16 puberty, you know, I wanted to look good for the girls and stuff. And so that's when it started kind of happening, but to a small extent where I would just kind of be like, that's a fatty meal. I'm not going to eat that. And I ran a lot and stuff and did crunches that night before going to bed, you know, in my room uh, when no one saw me. So I was just doing small things like that, that are a bit abnormal for like a, a teen to be even focusing on stuff like that. Maybe not now, like you said, with social media, people are a lot more concerned with that. But then, you know, I was even doing it in secret. I'm like, I don't want pe- people to know that I'm not eating that those fries, you know? Um, so that progressed for a while. And then I think it really kind of hit me like 18, 19, where I was kind of going through the thick of it. And then continued on until it's probably about right before like turning 20. And that's when I started working out. And that was really changed. You know, I got this way healthier relationship with food. Like this food is going to fuel this workout and help me to build not, you know, and so that helped. Um, but then again, not looking at those aesthetic sports, it's all about basically let's obsess about the way we look. And so that CrossFit was very beneficial for me to be like, let's stop. Like, we're not even going to put mirrors in the gym. We're just going to talk about how well you perform. That helped a lot. And eventually I just kind of grew out of it all. And now I have a healthy mixture of everything where, you know, I like to work out to look good and I like to eat to look good, but I also do it for performance and longevity and stuff too. And did you, did you go see like a, like a, a, like, did anybody connect with you? Like meant like a, like a sports therapist or anything like that to help you kind of like provide that insight? Or is it literally just like a mindset shift from looking good to then all of a sudden you found a sport that was about like, Hey, like, forget about how you look. Let's talk about how you perform. And that, that was what kind of like triggered it. Yeah, it was more of that trigger of the finding of the sport. I never, I, you know, I actually never even told many people, like, you know, if my parents listen to this, that might be the first time they ever heard of it, really. Um, I never talked about that I had these issues. You know, like my fiance knows, maybe a few close friends, but I dealt with a lot of that on my own, for sure. Wow. That's cool to see, like, the impact that fitness, like, and, and in particular CrossFit, because it was so much so about, like, the performance, um, yeah. you know, was able to provide. You know, sometimes I think that, we tracked too hard. We were too focused on performance, 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 where you would be okay with, you know, poor movement and stuff like that. But on the flip side, it provides, you know, 
this opportunity where people are so focused on that, that they're not as focused on their body image, which I think is a, a benefit as well. Yeah, I agree with you. I think both can have deleterious effects. And I think that like everything, moderation is key. So, you know, like you don't need to focus fully on performance. You don't need to focus fully on appearance. You can focus on a little bit of both and you'd probably be able to be pretty healthy that way, you know. I love that. Now, talking about blood work, just to kind of start kind of wrapping up a conversation here, when someone's looking at their blood work and, and just from like a holistic health perspective, aside from like, you know, Merrick has these like very vast blood panels and most people probably just go for their regular blood panel. And I don't even know what that is, to be honest. Um, our CBC, is that like the normal one that people get? Yeah, they get like a CBC and a CMP. That's the just basically looking at the blood and a, a, a small look into metabolic health, looking at things like um, electrolytes and stuff like that. And that would be just a basic one that, you know, your doc would probably order for you. Maybe lipids if they thought you were at all at risk, like looking at cholesterol and stuff. And if you're like a pretty healthy person, right, you exercise regularly, you know, most people listen to this show, uh, exercise regularly, they eat pretty healthy. They're, they're in general people that I think are more on this side of fitness. What type of markers would they expect to potentially see that might actually not be bad to your point, but might be, um, might be bad on the paper, but actually aren't bad. Like you, you were talking about, I think my kidney function, I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, or, or like you even brought up that my testosterone was like relatively low based on my background and stuff. I mean, anything that you think people could be aware of just when they're reviewing the blood work and obviously they're going to have a doctor go over this or hopefully they'll be going through Merrick Health, but things to consider if you are on this you know, you're not the norm, right? You're training hard, you're doing these type of things. Yeah, there's quite a few things. So that's uh, for sure the big one that we see is um, kidney health. That's something to definitely take into account that, you know, while when you're doing workouts and things and you have more muscle mass in general, um, your kidney markers are gonna look a bit skewed basically because these workouts, you are breaking down a small amount of muscle, you know, that is the goal. And so that filters through, puts a little bit of strain acutely on the kidney and can show up on the lab work. Same can happen for the liver. So sometimes we'll see elevated liver enzymes in somebody if they've just worked out. Um, also the a big ones, the creatinine kinase, which um, is one that if you like were to Google that, you would see it be like, oh my God, I'm having a heart attack. No, you probably just, uh, you just probably worked out too hard and you have too much protein in your um, blood. So those are some big ones uh, kind of that we see with like the, uh, our athletes. Um, so just a, a small recommendation that I usually give too is for, if you want to get a good look at your labs um, and kind of a baseline for athletes, I try to remind people not to work out too hard for like three to four days before if you want to get a really good um, look. So I, I just, the other day I was going to get labs and I went to squat and I'm like down in the hole. I'm like, crap, I'm getting labs. Uh -huh. You know, so I put it back and went on the treadmill and just did some like, you know, light cardio. So that would, uh, to offset that, that would be one thing. And, and you're saying like, like a couple of days in advance. Okay. And then yeah. for women, um, you know, my wife is getting blood work through you guys and oh, they cool. have to wait till like the 20th day after their cycle or, or, or yeah. is, and that's really important, huh? It, yeah, because with women, their uh, hormones fluctuate so much more than us men because they have, you know, their cycles. And so if they just go get lab work on an arbitrary day, what like, you know, lab work at day 10 of their cycle versus day 21 is going to look completely different. And so we just uh, to kind of set standards is like, you know, get it at this day of your cycle so that we kind of know the fluctuation is due to that uh, and not, you know, other issues. Got it. Got it. And so if, if someone's listening, they want to, you know, obviously um, in the show notes, we'll have links to uh, Merrick Health with the different panels that I've done in particular. Um, 
if someone wanted you to, uh, is it possible for them for, to have you in particular review their blood work or can you not choose at Merrick? It's just, there's a variety of MDs and they just kind of do what they got to do. No, yeah, you can, you can definitely do it. And then like, yeah, I just, uh, I guess I can touch on the whole process at Merrick a bit more too, because I feel like, yeah, I love that. Uh, we kind of just touched on the lab work, which is a part. It's just like I said, the TRT is a part. But honestly, you know, if you go to the website, we don't really advertise like any medication. We don't uh, advertise even really the blood work. It's just more optimization. A lot of that starts with the blood work since we are like a telehealth um, company. So we do need to have some metric to examine on you. But to be honest, you know, a, a lot of people come and they don't get any medica medication. Like they're coming just for the optimization in general. Um, we have a, a huge team of people, like 40 plus people. Um, these are patient care coordinators, doctors. And with that, we have MDs, DOs, we have naturopathic doctors. Um, we have a chiropractor as a patient care coordinator, a PA, NP, PhD, dietitian. We have tons of people. So we're looking to optimize you as a whole. Um, so sometimes you come in and your lab works fine, but that doesn't mean that we can't help you. So we, we're giving recommendations on your diet. We're giving recommendations on your sleep. You know, we're, we have people, I know you're a businessman yourself. We have uh, executives coming in like, you know, I just don't feel like I've got that edge at work anymore. I get this brain fog midday. I can't figure it out. We take a deep dive in that. It's a deep dive into your lab work to see, is there anything in your physiology causing that? If there is, we can address it through maybe diet recommendations only, maybe supplementations, maybe there's a medication that suits you. But I don't wanna fall into that category of just TRT clinics where you basically are going just for the testosterone. Like if there's an aspect of your life that you feel like can be improved, if you feel like there's any room for improvement whatsoever, if you're somebody who feels like they're at 99%, but they wanna be 100 plus, like it's kind of always how I've wanted, you know, I want that extra edge. Like we're definitely the company to come to, to kind of get that. And then that's a wide spectrum. It's athletes like yourself. We have the bodybuilders who are abusing substances who aren't, you know, it's, it's a pretty unhealthy sport, unfortunately, but we understand that we have a lot of people like myself who have messed around with that kind of thing. We understand the harm reduction there. Um, if you're doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu, we have patient care coordinators that do that and can specifically recommend, you know, supplements that may aid in, in what you're doing. So, you know, just wanted to kind of overall touch yeah. on all that too. Yeah, no, I, hey, look, I, 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 get, I get that, you know, like if you're feeling like a brain fog midday, you know, I found in particular, you know, maybe trying like a, you know, uh, reducing the carbohydrates, fasting, there's, a, there's, there's other things than, than maybe yeah, just like cold exposure, you know, like I know you've been big into cold exposure and stuff like we're, we're talking to patients about this stuff. So it's cool because, you know, when you go to your, your primary, you bring up like, oh, I want to do this cold therapy and they're like, cold exposure, you know, like that's not really out. like, can I write you a script, you know? And I don't want to hate on the, the medical system as a whole, but I do feel like some people are kind of fed up with it, you know, based on what we've been through with uh, like the C word. I don't want to get you demonetized on here or something. Oh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. A few years have been hard for people and they kind of have a distrust and they, they kind of want this outside look like, you know, can you just not write me a script for something and kind of dive in a bit deeper as to me as an individual, you know, and that's what we're trying to aim to do. I love that. Yeah. The cold plunge has been really helpful for my family and I, and, you know, doctors wouldn't really talk about that, nor, nor would that necessarily be in like a specific scope of them. But I think for you guys, you're trying to optimize across the board and there's multiple factors, you know, the research on the cold, the deliver cold exposure is insane. Like it, it, it's amazing. I think most people should do it. I should do it. I don't, <laughs> I should like every day. I'm like, I should make the shower cold at the end. I'm like, no, that sounds terrible. <laughs> Random fact. And I'll have to connect you to the guys at cold plunge, but Random fact, 
taking a cold shower for me is tougher than getting into the actual plunge itself. Okay. And so, oh yeah. So if you're able to kind of like get the self like whatever to go underneath the cold shower, I find it to be significantly harder than actually just going in a plunge. I, I don't for a variety of reasons, but yeah. just letting you know. All right. All right. I I'll love it, man. Well, dude, it sounds like, look, what, what Merrick is doing is awesome. I really appreciate the support that they've given us. Um, and you know, kind of like helping our team, my wife, myself, just, I, I just, I need to start getting the blood work done every six months and it's starting from the last time I got it. So I'll do it again in a couple of months. And so if people want to kind of get more information aside from the, um, podcast show notes and, and, and find out more information about you or Merrick, where's the best place for people to go, um, to kind of their, their next step. Should they go to social media? Should they go to the website? Where should yeah, they go? They can, they can just go to the website, um, you know, the Merrick Health, and then they'll, um, they can sign up and they'll be, uh, they can, what's nice is you can do self-service labs where all you do is the lab work. If that's all you're interested in, you just want to look at labs and look at it yourself. That's awesome. We give you that power, which is hard to do too, if you're just going to your doc, unfortunately. Um, or we, we give you the option where you're going to team up with a it's called it we call it a patient care coordinator which is basically you can consider it like your concierge medical uh provider um they're non-licensed medical like basically coaches i guess you could say where they're going to you know kind of facilitate everything they can give some uh, recommendations talk about things like cold plunge you know give um different supplementation diet exercise lifestyle sleep all that kind of stuff advice if they feel like you need to actually speak with a doc or if you're interested in speaking with a doc after you've gotten the labs and you say like i kind of want a medical opinion on this or you know maybe i am now diabetic and i want to you know is there any medication or anything that might be able to help with this or my testosterone's crushed and i have no libido can you guys help me raise it they'll set you up with a doc and it's at that point you know like maybe a guy comes in and they're one of your listeners like i do a lot of crossfit and do you guys have a doc who understands my needs they can team you with it and what's nice is we kind of have a full spectrum. We have powerlifters, strong men, bodybuilders, crossfitters, kind of weirdos like myself who are, you know, foot doctors who can help with your foot thing and also have dabbled in things. And, you know, I'm kind of a, a little bit of everything. So, yeah, we, we got a cool mix here for you and we can definitely help you out to get that extra few percent. Hey, I, I got to ask before we close out, I have the fattest, flattest foot on the planet. But I have to ask, what is your opinion on um, shoes versus more minimal or barefoot. Yeah, so yeah, I like this discussion. It's interesting. It kind of falls right in line with everything we're doing. So basically, we like have a whole podcast just on that. By the way, good. Yeah. Like so, everything I learned basically in school is like we need to give these people rigid support, rigid arch support. Like you know, big clunky shoes, the heavy that are gonna you know everything you know in a normal shoe wear, um, orthotics and things. But that doesn't really make sense to me from like a biological standpoint, you know, um, I, we weren't born with shoes. It, it makes sense to me, like if I can strengthen the muscles in my feet in order to be able to withstand my body you know, weight and function a little bit better than I should. Um, one thing, though, that I'll say is like the minimalist and barefoot isn't necessarily for everybody. There are some pathologies and things where some people have like rigid bony blocks that aren't going to be fixed by working out. Um, again, again, kind of falls down real quick to like that optimization thing where, 
Um, the problem that a lot of podiatrists have and, and why we don't just say, oh, go train your feet is because, you know, these are people that we can't even get to walk for 10 minutes in a day. So you telling them to bust out the lacrosse ball and display their toes and do the toe spacers and, you know, do like, let, put like two hours of work into your feet a day, that's not going to happen. So it's a lot easier to throw them that crutch. Like, let me put a rigid orthotic in there and a big bulky shoe. Um, but if you're into optimization and stuff, you're working out the rest of your body, you should probably not neglect your feet and let those be weak, you know. I know you're good friends with like Kelly Starrett and stuff. He has good stuff and, you know, all the uh, strengthening the intrinsic muscles. Um, so, yeah, my, my thoughts are kind of all over on that. But uh, it, it kind of falls in line with like the optimization versus just like a crutch. Yeah, I hadn't, put, I hadn't thought about it through that lens. Like if you're a podiatrist and you're having a tough enough time getting your person just to walk 10 minutes a day, you know, you talking to them about minimalist shoes is like 50 steps ahead of the way, yeah. you know, like hard. Yeah. yeah. It's easier just to be like, Oh, this, take this big thing. That's going to take support your arch for you. You know, I would love to tell them to be like, you know, do the exercises, strengthen those arches, strengthen the muscles. But that's hard with people. Yeah. Well, Hey, we got to talk again about that particular subject. I think, yeah. uh, I know you're gonna be talking to Mark Bell soon. I know he's going, he's going on that tangent as well. And so am I, frankly, I'm, 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 I'm leaning more towards like kind of more of a minimalist barefoot, at least for sometimes. Yeah. Um, now that's, I've been, I've been, I've been working all morning from the office, got the squat rack in the background and we're barefoot. And yeah, I see the, the VPs wearing his minimalist shoes in here now. So yeah, we're all too. I love it, man. Well, bro, I, I really appreciate your time, your insight, your knowledge, your background. It's, uh, it's been really great to, to get to know you better. Uh, I'm looking forward to chatting again soon about in particular, this conversation right here away from the blood work and more for the foot, um, yeah. which I'm sure blood work plays a role, but, um, yeah, yeah, man, then, what? yeah. If you have a foot problem too, call up Merrick, you know, we have helped people. I've looked at their lab, their x-rays and things. And, you know, we have other docs too, with pulmonologists and things help with lung problems. We have, you know, we have a host of docs and don't come to us thinking it's only about hormones. you got a problem and you want that and, it, and it's some medical insight on it, you know, come our way. Love it. Well, thank you everyone for listening. I really appreciate your time, Adam. I hope you have a great day and we'll Good check in with you guys again soon. All right. Take care, Jason.